Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Let's do it. Podcast number 225. Welcome, Maximizers, as we get deeper into the skills of persuasion, motivation, and influence, and finish up from last week where we were talking about the 13 mistakes that are costing you money. I've had a great week. Did some training for the state of California near Sacramento, off to San Francisco to talk more about charismatic leadership. And did a big webinar today for one of America's favorite beverages. I'll just leave it at that. And that brings me to the blunder. Homer, go! Don't, don't, don't! Yeah, so I'd been away and I went to turn on my computer at my home office. And it started to upgrade. Microsoft started to upgrade. It didn't ask me if I wanted an upgrade. I didn't want an upgrade. And I didn't have time to wait for an upgrade because I had a webinar going on that I needed to get into to log into. I still had an hour, but I always get in early, make sure all the equipment's ready to roll. But yeah, 1%, 2%. Hour later, it's still going. It's restarting and going. And man, it took an hour and 50 minutes in the whole time. What did I do? I cursed Microsoft. Why would they do that to me? Why didn't they even ask? Right? I'm sure there's a reason. The lesson being... <laughs> When things don't go as planned, you get blamed. And it could be a negative thing on your product, your service, your company name. And not only that, you tell everybody about it. So maybe it's time to get back to Apple. We'll have to see. That is the blunder drove me nuts. In fact, I had to get a different computer to do this webinar because it did not finish upgrading by the time it started. So then let's head out to the geeky article of the week. This is brought to us by University of Michigan and the Journal of Marketing Research. What they found, and this might be a duh moment, is that more iPhones break when a new model comes out. (laughs) What do you know? So if you have a son or daughter with an iPhone that goes missing or breaks or drops when the new iPhone comes out, now you know why. They're calling it the upgrade effect. And it's not just for iPhones. It's for any time a consumer wants something a little better, a little nicer, whether it be a car. They did a test with these mugs, and they offered a better option if the other one was broken or didn't work. And all of a sudden, they tend to break a lot more, and people aren't as careful with them. So this upgrade effect is pretty interesting. The results, people are more willing to risk and own product in the presence of a preferred upgrade. So the Journal of Marketing Research says that it induces carelessness. People just kind of subconsciously destroy things, lose things, break things to get that desired new preferred upgrade. So Francesca Gino, she's a professor at Harvard. She was also co-author of this study. She says, contrary to the prevailing notion that consumers highly value and care for their possessions. The current research demonstrates that consumers exhibit cavalier behavior toward own products when in the presence of appealing product upgrades. Kind of interesting. Don't fall for that story of your son or daughter or coworker when that iPhone goes missing or broken or dropped. Uh Uh-huh. Now you know the name of it. 
It's called the upgrade effect. <laughs> so all the good stuff you're learning here on the show. But anyway, appreciate your questions and comments. If you do have questions, it's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. The podcast website's also MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And, of course, if you want archives to the show, that's at InfluenceUniversity.com. There's a free membership there and also home of the 52-week PhD program. If you're really serious and want to take a deep dive into the world of persuasion and get some really advanced tools to take your life and your income to the next level. So as promised, we're finishing up on the 13 mistakes made during your sales conversation. This is brought to us by saleshacker.com and gong.io. Mentioned last time that they analyzed over 1 million B2B sales call recordings, analyzed them, put it into the computer, and found some interesting numbers that we talked about last time. And I want to finish that up to make sure you're not making these mistakes or these blunders because they are probably costing you money. Now, number seven is asking too few, wait a minute, or too many questions. We've always been a believer on the show about asking questions. Questions are important. If you ask the right questions, they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade them. I mean, that's just how it is. And this gets really interesting. Again, we already know too few, duh. But can you ask too many questions? What's the right number? So they did found that average reps ask 6.3 questions and top performers ask 10 to 14 questions. Dig deep and listen more. We knew that, but here's the new part of the study. There's diminishing return after 14 questions. So when people ask 1 to 6 questions, they had a little success. 7 to 10, more success. 11 to 14, the most success. Then once they hit 15, their success started to deteriorate. Isn't that interesting? There's a general rule. If you need to ask more questions than that, you should probably get permission. I mean, you want to make sure you're the consultant, not this annoying person that's asking these personal questions that they don't want to answer. That's got to be part of the formula. But they've got to know there's a reason for you to gather this information and these questions are going to help you serve them and provide the best service or product possible. And that's something all great persuaders do is they write down this list of questions and it leads them down the path of persuasion. And if you want to know more about it, Podcast 93, we spent the whole time on the art of questions and getting the right questions and asking great questions. And know my favorite question, I've said it before on the show, what does the perfect solution look like to you? And then just shut up and start listening. Let them answer. Let them keep going. And they're going to tell you everything you need to know to persuade them. So the takeaway from this is, yeah, get the questions going. But at a certain point, if you ask too many, it has diminishing returns. Now, another piece of this, number eight, is asking your questions checklist style. Hmm. They talk about, you don't want these rapid-fire questions. You don't want to just sit there and grill them like it's a checklist one after the other. If they ever sense that you're going through a checklist, and you're not truly listening to their challenges or adding in additional questions or probing for more information, if it's not coming across in a natural way, then you start to lose them. And that happens when you sound scripted or impersonal or you're just going through the motions or it just sounds like you're doing question after question after question, no matter what they say. You're not clarifying your questions. You're not asking additional questions. That's when you lose the sale. So as they analyze these million phone calls, these B2B phone calls, they found the difference between top and average 
salespeople is this. Average salespeople is question heavy right in the beginning. Boom, 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 boom. The top salespeople had them evenly inserted throughout the conversation. That was the difference. So it gave them time to talk between questions and clarify they weren't one right after another that average salespeople do in the beginning of a phone call. So again, obvious, don't be robotic. Don't go through the motions. Don't get stuck on just hearing and writing down whatever they're saying, but you're truly listening. Uh-huh, really? Tell me more. Why do you say that? That's interesting. How did that make you feel? Whatever the question is, you need to keep going to find out exactly what they're feeling, exactly what's going on, and customize it a little bit. They're going to feel that you don't care if you're the one-size-fits-all or you're taking them down a path through questions. It's completely obvious that you have one thing in mind for them and nothing else. They need to feel like you understand their problems so you can provide the solution. So the next blunder they found through these million phone calls is pitching rather than conversing. Ah, sounds like a theme here. Being authentic, being genuine will always increase your chance of success. And those words are popping up more and more as I'm doing seminars and trainings when I ask people to list, you know, traits of people that do anti-suasion that cause resistance. But when we create a list of positive things about people we want to be around, that we want to be influenced by, there is a serious trend about being genuine, being authentic, keeps coming up again and again. That's becoming more and more important to people. So part of that is you got to go back and forth between you and them, listening, get them engaged in the conversation, because a pitch is just you. You're just going. You're vomiting all the things that they should be excited about your product or service without finding out what they want to learn about, what they want to know about. And so as they researched this, they found the higher number of speaker switches, they called it, per minute, with better odds of getting a second meeting. So this is not a football game where you have the ball for long periods of time, then they have the ball. They compared it more to a tennis match, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So the more back and forth, the more open dialogue. Now it doesn't sound like a pitch. Now they feel more engaged and involved. Now it gives them less time to think of other things because if you're drone on in your pitch, you keep talking and talking, they're going to go off to left field and think of other things and think of counter-arguments and not do what you want them to do. That's why I've always, always been anti-script. Now, there's a time and place for a script. And sometimes, salespeople, it's a good place to start with the script. But if you sound like you're reading a script, you will lose them. I'm more into bullets. I'm more into questions. But a word-for-word script can be helpful at times, but can be very damaging. So be careful that you don't sound like you're reading a script. But it could also happen, too. When you say the same things over and over and over again every day, every day, it could sound robotic because you're on cruise control and really not listening to the words that you're saying. So remember, not football, tennis, back and forth, back and forth. Or how about Frisbee? We can use that one. You can treat it like Frisbee. Number 10, they mentioned bringing up the competition too late in the cycle. They know there's competition. They know they have options. They know you know about the competition. And if you don't address the competition early in the sales cycle, not late in the game, but during the discovery and some of the first demos, the chances of you losing that deal increase by 49%. 
Did you catch that? You've got to bring the competition, probably first call, first visit, first demo. A, to let them know you're being honest and open. B, to let them know you know about the industry. And you don't have to demean the competition, but you need to bring them up, let them know about their strengths and weaknesses and your strengths and weaknesses and put yourself in a good light, obviously. And this study shows that if you don't bring it up, did you catch that number? 49% chance of losing the deal. And remember, it's okay to bring in the competition. People are going to buy from people they like and trust. That's what you need to focus on and be knowledgeable. Know your competition. Again, don't demean the competition, but know their strengths and their weaknesses. Number 11, using filler words. Now, I've been a speech coach for a long time. I teach people how to do persuasive presentation. I've coached politicians. I've coached CEOs. One of the first things we do is we speed them up with rate. Look up the law of verbal packaging and maximum influence to understand rate and how rate is very important in influence. And then we always work on fill words. Now, I've always been a big believer that a few here and there are not a big deal, but we've all had those people we've talked to that was like a nice stab in you. Um, er, uh, you know... And it just really hurts credibility. But they found something really interesting. The top, mid, and low-performing reps use the same filler words with the same frequency. So it didn't correlate to success and failure. But they did come out and say, yes, they're still annoying. And they said it's worth taking out of your conversation. And they did find out the most common filler words on a sales call was the word so... So, so, (laughs) that was the one. So even though it did have a big correlation as far as sales rates concerned, they did say it's annoying, especially when you cross that threshold when it's on their radar and they hear it every time you do it. That's when it's going to affect your sales. So don't get so stressed about vocal fillers, but be professional. Try to strip out as many as you can. You let a few slip here and there. Not a big deal. Don't stress about it, but try to get rid of most of them. Especially like the top three. So, you know, like, (laughs) are filler words that we use way too much. And a good way to get rid of those is to do it in a non-stressful situation. They didn't invent themselves on a sales call. It means you're doing it when you're talking to a friend on a cell phone or during a presentation. So in non-stressful situations, try to really listen to your words and you're going to catch yourself right after you say it. But then eventually you're going to catch yourself right before you say it. Because our brain thinks in segments, and every time we go from like segment to segment, um, or like so, we put in these fillers. It's okay to use silence, train your brain to do that, and you'll sound more professional. Number 12, giving more than a two-minute company overview. <laughs> so if you're talking about your company too much, you know, wards, history, overview, it decreases your chances of progressing to the next opportunity, to winning the deal. So how much is too much? They say two minutes. That's the cliff. If you go past two minutes, you are done. They just found that as long as you speak in general terms about your company, for around two minutes, that's all you get. You'll be fine. But if you go past that, it dramatically increases the chances that you are not going to get another opportunity. You're not going to win the deal. Two minutes, two minutes top. I think one of the big reasons there is they want to know a little bit about your company, but they're more concerned about can you solve their problem. And you can go more into the company later. It goes back to having the fish on the wall. People are tired of talking about it, and sometimes people are tired of hearing you talking about your company. They need to know you know their problem and that you can solve it. 
Number 13, selling a loan. They found, and this one's pretty interesting, that during a sales cycle, have at least one call that includes other people from your company. Whether it be your sales manager or sales engineer or customer service, a product manager, someone else that can explain the product's benefits. This simple thing increases your chances of closing the deal, you're sitting down, by 258%. Compared to by going solo, doing it all on your own, and you can kind of swap with other people, maybe listening to another voice, another person gives it more credibility, but bring your coworkers or managers or others into the mix, 258% increase in sales by not doing it by yourself. Isn't that awesome research? Again, that's from saleshacker.com and gong.io. Great information, great research, all backed with science. That's what I like. Take these into account and figure out which one you need to start working on to increase your sales, to increase your ability to persuade. Remember, we all persuade for a living, and these are critical life skills that you need to learn and master. So again, check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We're on Twitter at InfluenceMax and at YouTube at MaximizeYourInfluence. Tell your friends, like the podcast, let other people know about it, share with other people, really appreciate that. And of course, do appreciate your emails and your feedback. Thanks for being here. This concludes podcast 225. Master these skills and you know it. Go out and persuade with power.